Ladies and gentlemen, you have made it to Brave to the Bone podcast, where we explore the dynamics of human courage in its most dynamic form, personal transformation. I am a nurse who left traditional Western medicine to explore the vast potential of healing that exists in our natural world. From psychic healers to psychedelic wellness, this is your source to your own human potential. I just have to give a shout out to all my TikTok followers over at Bones of a Nurse, where I have almost 40,000 followers, where we get to share so much history, research, science, and movement of what's happening in the psychedelic renaissance today. So if you're on TikTok at all, please head over to Bones of a Nurse and help me reach 40,000. Right now, we're at 37.3. This is your host, Tanya Gilbert. I am so excited to introduce to you today, Catherine LaRoe. She is a licensed clinical social worker who works with those suffering from complex trauma and PTSD. She is passionate about integrative medicine with psychedelic therapy, preparation, and integration. Her work is making a huge difference. Today, she opens up about how she found her way on this path, and she opens up with an honest, beautiful heart about the practices that she uses in her everyday life and how she's healed from her own past. You'll love this. Enjoy. Katie, thank you so much for coming to the show. It is so wonderful to meet you. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to be on the podcast and to spread the message about psychedelics and preparation and integration. So this just lights my soul on fire. (laughs) I am a licensed clinical social worker in the state of California. I work with PTSD and trauma but I also do psychedelic preparation and integration. So some of the organizations that I've been working a lot with most recently have been retired Navy SEALs who have gone through certain medicines uh, as well as their spouses, perhaps um, helping them to understand what the journey is going to look like, how to prepare, and then of course, how to implement the things that they've learned into their daily life as well as how to really expand on their own natural gifts that they have just remembered because they've been able to remove some of the cloaks of trauma and time and the narratives of what the world really brings to them. So I have a huge passion for the psychedelic space. I also do a lot of uh, different somatic type modalities. I utilize EFT. I'm a biofield tuning practitioner. I do healing touch, which is somewhat similar to Reiki, but really takes quite a while to get uh, certified in that. Well, I'm not certified. I stopped at level four because I did not want to do like another master's degree for another <laughs> another certification. I was able to, to utilize and engage in those treatments because we were using them in the hospital that I was a therapist at. So we were one of the first programs for trauma and PTSD that actually started using energetic modalities in order to help people heal what was going on energetically and somatically with them. So I'm very passionate about being able to utilize 
traditional therapy methods, as well as some of these energetic methods in the healing and implementation of what healing the soul and the mind and energetics would look like. Oh, that's so amazing. You know, I really loved how you called trauma the cloak of trauma. Is there, is that a particular visual that you kind of came to understand? Did you coin that term? It may have been said somewhere before. I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have this tendency to think I'm really unique in what I'm saying, but who knows? I could have heard it on a podcast or anywhere for all I know. No, but that's really what it is. You know, when we think of a cloak, we think of the things that shield us or hide us from the world outside. And so much of trauma is about the isolation and the being unseen. You know, all of the symptoms that we see with trauma really lend people to transition into a place of being alone and of isolating and of removing themselves from the engagement of the world and engagement in life and engagement even in their own soul needs, because there's just this deep, profound distrust of being able to tap into a sense of self, into the body, into the energy, because it all can feel so overwhelming. So there's a suppression that happens with that. And when I think about the suppression, I think about the invisibility that sometimes kind of comes with that. And that feels very cloak-like. Yeah, I really, I really like that term. You just said invisible, but while you were talking, I was thinking sometimes when you wear the cloak of trauma, and this is just speaking from my own personal experience, you think that everyone else sees you a certain way and all you are is what they see in that cloak. Mm -hmm. And when you have the opportunity to unveil, wow, what, like you say, what a weight lifted off, what a freedom. And so now no longer are you even concerned about what other people think or what you're shielding from the outside world because it's not relevant any longer. I do agree with that. I do agree with that. I think that there's a certain power in being able to step outside of that. And, you know, the other thing with trauma that I often, I often am reminded about is trauma happens generationally, right? I mean, we carry ancestral trauma as well. If we can hand it down, then, you know, it's in our, it's in our own genetics, but there also is that element of our environment that creates us to be who we are. And I find that with a lot of people who have complex trauma, it's just, that's a loaded wheelhouse, but there tends to be this different set of energetics that come along with it, AKA, this is normally what we see with the empath. So the empath having a difficult time being able to differentiate what energy is theirs and what energy is not, and even what thoughts are theirs and what thoughts are not, and even what pain is theirs and what pain is not. And I think some of this comes from being in an environment when you're so young of needing to be able to read or navigate the energetics that are happening there in order to stay safe. So as people who grow up um, with childhood trauma or complex trauma throughout life, I believe it becomes very difficult for them to even know who their authentic self is, the remembrance of the authentic self. And part of removing the cloak is looking at some of those, those shadow pieces of us, the voices that aren't ours, the pain that's not ours, the emotions that aren't ours and the energetics that are ours so that we can begin to peel them off layer by layer in order to feel and recognize and embody the person that we actually were created to be aside from all of those other rocks in the backpack that have weighed us down for so long. 
when you use complex trauma, can you give that us a little bit of an understanding of what that word complex adds to the trauma definition? Yeah, absolutely. So complex trauma is more trauma that has happened over a lifetime. So um, whereas, you know, then you might have like a single case trauma where you've had like a horrific car accident or something. So complex trauma tends to begin happening for most people at a very young age. And one of the things that happens with that is because it changes our perception of the world and our view of safety in the world, we tend to um, engage in things that feel unsafe over and over because it's so predictable to us. It's like, even though I know that this relationship doesn't feel okay to me, I stay in this relationship because... I know how to navigate it. It feels safer than being outside of a relationship like this. Mm-hmm. So complex trauma tends to attract more trauma in life. My, my um, sister put up a meme that says, I feel safer with red flags in relationships because that's what I saw growing up is, you know, I was raised on red flags. hundred percent. Yeah. Interesting. A hundred percent. And that is where a lot of the deep trauma work comes from is being able to recognize those red flags and understand the difference between a feeling of excitement and a feeling of fear, because those two things oftentimes get very confused within the body because they feel very similar. So learning how to come back to a deep sense of trust within self and being able to facilitate that relationship with the individual soul really helps us to begin to identify what is excitement and what is fear and what is a boundary and what is not. That's so interesting. I'm just going to go down this rabbit hole of the soul, like you said, um, because I feel like there's a threshold that without a lot of safe space and grace and the right medicines to lift up the default mode network, which, you know, the psychedelic work is so cool in doing, and people become really acutely aware of this hole that they've had, um, you know, within themselves. I was sitting with someone very close to me at breakfast this morning, and she was telling me uh, of that off any antidepressants, she feels this, you know, incredible hole in her soul. And I feel like that is so scary, you know, in what the work you do is kind of help people soften, listen, go with the flow and move through that. Can you tell us a little bit more about threshold work of feeling safe enough to do it and moving through it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And also a fairly long process in order to really kind of get to the root of it and begin really understanding what it's like. And of course, psychedelics tend to get us there a lot faster. It's many years of therapy in one night, you know, and and the beautiful thing is that when we have adequate preparation and integration, it really comes together quite beautifully um, for the most part. But the depth of that really comes from being able to fulfill the longing of desires that feel authentic and true to oneself and to be able to facilitate that connection between the mind and the body and also really leaning into the things that bring us joy. And I think for trauma, 
that is one of the things that is so often forgotten are the things that bring us joy. We, we tend to put a dim switch on that because either we've forgotten or it's not felt safe to be able to have that form of expression. And that form of an expression is really what the soul is requiring us to do. It's to have that, that human experience of, of joy and longing and belonging and of wholeness. And um, when we begin to go in and kind of look at the, at the shadowy aspects that have kind of contracted around the soul that have made it difficult for it to express itself, it really gives us a beautiful idea of what's on the other side. So I think that's probably the most beautiful thing about um, looking at these aspects of shadow is because there's just so much wisdom and brilliance within it. And that really is where the soul shines is when we begin to look at the wisdom and brilliance that is behind the shadow and, and seeing just what it is that it's protecting so that we can really engage in that and then utilize that going forward consistently in our day-to-day life. Oh, such a good answer, such a good definition. And can you give us some examples of maybe some clients that you have worked with as far as what joy was buried and what they were able to find in mm-hmm. as far as freedom and light yeah. in their yeah, own? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I recently worked with a client who an incredibly intelligent, beautiful individual um, suffered from depression due to childhood trauma this person's sole expression was art. It was art. It was, it was the way that the body could move and the fluid expression of the emotions in that way. And um, later on in life, after high school, there had been several more incidences that really bound into the soul. And that person lost a deep sense of trust within themselves. Through the use of psychedelics, they were able to then see what, what weight had been put upon them that they had been carrying for so long that had caused depression and isolation. And and as I began working with this person, we started really looking at a, the protective mechanisms of those things that had been put there and why they were there and how in some ways it was like a, a cocoon for a butterfly. Like it just kind of allowed some space for the development until it was ready to really come out and express itself in a very cognizant way. So we were working with shadows and really looking at small bite-sized ways that we could get in there and begin to allow some soul speak into the day-to-day life. And um, I actually just recently spoke to this, to this individual and they said that uh, for the first time in probably over a year, they danced and it was a dance that went right into flow state and there was nothing in between this person and spirit and all it was is just a moment in time of full embodied expression looking looking at the shadows and really looking at these heavier parts of us are really important because again they really are just messengers they're just they're just go ahead (laughs) did you just say um that you work with clients to help them make more time for the soul to speak I do. (laughs) Yeah, I do that too. That's, that's probably more of my woo woo side. Oh no, Um, I love it. I love it. (laughs) I, I, you know, I'm a full believer that, uh, traditional therapy and talk therapy, and and I may get slammed for this and that's okay. I'm going to go ahead and stand up and say it anyway. 
um, traditional talk therapy just it's not as helpful as people used to think that it was. We really have to get down into the energetics of what the body messages are trying to tell us of of where the trauma is stored in the body. And of course, we know it is because we've got, you know, Bessel van der Kolk and we've got Peter Levine. We've got all these experts who um, are just beautifully indicating just how incredibly important it is for us to be able to move the trauma in the body so that we can release the messages behind it. But I utilize energetic methods to begin to kind of move and create space for us to inhabit our being. And I actually do this a lot with my integration work too. I teach people how to utilize and read their own energy, how to utilize their energy, how to feel it, how to share it with other people, which is so fun. But part of the reason we do that is because again, with the soul, the soul is our embodiment. It's our entire being. But when we get cut off from the mind and the body, it, it can feel suppressed or somewhat dead end. And so when we begin to get people back into their body and familiar with their energetics, again, it helps to stabilize the sense of trust within themselves to begin to read what is happening within the messages of the body. So the woo-woo side of me really loves working with the energetics of the body and just of the electromagnetic field because it is such a, a powerful part of us. So, you know, it's, it's the fun part about doing the coaching, but it's also a fun part of, of therapy as well as we begin to move further into this idea of using somatic or energetic therapies to begin to move things and look at them and allow them to really process in a very different way. Humanity is such a spectrum that I feel like it's so, it's gotta be so unique and mind blowing to teach people how to read what they're feeling And I can see how like on one level, it's pretty basic. Now a person would at one point react with an emotion and maybe start using drugs. Mm -hmm. And now after work, they realize, whoa, I'm having a trauma response and they know what to do and um, move through it, allow themselves a day to just dive into it, talk to somebody and then move through. But Mm -hmm. what I find kind of fascinating is that you know, we're such a diverse population and we all do this so differently. How is it for you as a coach to work with women and men with all sorts of different PTSD and trauma? And it must be fascinating how it comes up differently. Fascinating, challenging, exciting. You know, one of the things that I like to rely heavily on is just an openness and being able to listen to their words so I can understand how it is that they process things because, you know, some people tend to be much more heady, you know, where they're more intellectual and they're more rational. And so being able to describe the process to them would be very different than it is for somebody who tells me, oh yeah, I've been feeling energy in a room where I could see spirits from the time that I was little. So, you know, it, it's yeah, always a matter a of, difference. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we just go in, we just go into listening mode and we just stay open to that. And then, you know, maybe with somebody who just is, is more intellectual, we begin to describe just the electromagnetic pulses of the body. We can read this, we can see EKGs. We know that when we look at brain scans, we can see different areas lighting up versus, you know, somebody who is um, more apt to see the unseen they kind of get it a little bit more quickly. So I can jump right into, okay, we're going to start learning energetic boundaries. We're going to start with grounding cords. We're going to start really like calling in our energy consistently. 
So it's, it's fun, it's challenging, it's interesting, and there's never one person that's exactly the same. And so, you know, I feel like I'm constantly growing in this field as well. And I, I think that our work is never, ever, ever done, thank God, or we'd just, we'd be dead, we'd be light again, we'd just be gone and ready to, you know, incarnate all over. <laughs> but, you know, for now, it's just like, in, enjoy the ride and allow yourself to be an active participant in the process of continuing to learn as we are all growing together. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Will you take us back? I'd love to hear about you, Katie, as a child, um, where you grew up and um, were, were you always someone who felt in tuned with the healing path? Mm-hmm. I, like a lot of empaths, have trauma to thank for some of my gifts. And I, uh, I actually grew up on a small farm. My parents were divorced. My father, which is where some of the trauma enters in. My father was actually a pedophile and he was a very, he was a very violent man. I had a lot, a lot of trauma as a child, but the one thing that that gave me was an ability to be able to read energy. So I spent a lot of time with the animals on our farm. I was able to, we had a, we had a big stallion. He was, I think his name was midnight. He was just big black stallion. And I used to just toddle over there at like two years old and I just go sit underneath him, but he didn't like people. (laughs) He loved me. So I would just go sit underneath the stallion and just, he'd just stand there and like stand guard over me. So I've always had a really interesting relationship with <laughs> yeah, and so you hear my mom like trying to figure out how to coax me out from underneath this five thousand pound horse. So it it really did help me to devise um, this ability to be able to read energy, to be able to understand what was coming before it ever came. So that really was probably the development of my gift for being able to have such a keen sense of intuition and a clear sentience, a, a knowing and a, the feeling, and then the clear cognizant of just the knowing. And then I was really blessed because my mother never discouraged my, my gifts of utilizing healing. And she, she actually really was a huge proponent of it. I remember at one point, I, I believe I was probably in third grade. She had both of her feet operated on and was off her feet for six weeks. And I, I remembered always just feeling how painful it was. It just, it, like it actually makes me kind of nauseous even thinking back to it right now. So that's something I get to work on. <laughs> that's an indicator of something that hasn't moved yet. But I remember working on her feet and just utilizing my hands to just move the energy around her feet. And I remembered the feeling of her feet feeling so different. They were no longer hot and the energy was no longer constricted and thick, but it became very fluid. And I remember just looking at the relief on her face. So she was one person who very much accepted my gifts as a young healer. I've always had a very special relationship with plants as well, probably because I was so in tune energetically to things. You couldn't get me out of nature. Nature was the one place where I felt completely whole and safe. So I spent a lot of time outside. I spent a lot of time with trees, just laying down in the grass and being one with the earth. So that really, I think was, was probably the foundation of my ability to understand, read and utilize energy and plants in such a, a healing way. And I, 
And I also want to say that throughout life, not everybody was accepting of it. <laughs> my, my first husband actually, he used to get these terrible migraines and I never knew what I was doing when I was doing it, but I was trying to pull the energy out of the back of his head and he could feel it. But he was one of those very like lo logical, rational people. He's like, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> he thought it was so weird. So I've definitely been on both ends of the spectrum with people being completely open with it versus people just, you know, thinking it was, it was way too crazy and not acceptable at all. So it really, it really was my own trauma that brought me into the space of healing, both with energetics and with plants. And I have been through my own deep, deep psychedelic journeys that have really helped me just to remember remember what kind of what was going on with your first experiences and I wasn't actually young when I had my first experience um my first experience was actually with ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT and that was just within the past five years yeah. that I that I did this one yeah I think I think actually so I, I started actually doing preparation integration before that, before I actually had my experience, but I, I was very familiar with expanded states of consciousness, you know, because I worked a lot with meditation and mindfulness and breath work, um, in the intensive outpatient program where, where I was a therapist, but the Ibogaine, I actually think that, uh, it, it was within the last two years actually did that. I did the Ibogaine and the five MEO but just deep healing and, and, you know, the, the spirit of Ibo game is just like this very funny, playful, um, playful being. And the way that it was able to communicate with me was really helpful for me in understanding where I was and how I navigated the world around me. You know, Ibogaine kind of helped me understand. I, I always describe this like a Jenga puzzle, how, when we have trauma happen in our life, the pieces of the Jenga puzzle might look like rejection or not belonging or unworthiness. And Ibogaine tends to go in there and just kind of pulls those all out. It's like, this, this is no longer working for you. This is no longer working for you. This is no longer working for you. And then um, we did 5-MeO-DMT, which is also referred to as the God molecule. And the God molecule just went and kind of put things back where they would belong. And the unworthiness now was something that I was able to um, look at and be purposeful about the way that I navigated that. So I was learning how to feel worthy versus feeling unworthy. So it really provided me some incredible insight. And since then, I've worked with uh, a lot of different plant medicines um, for my own healing, which have just been absolutely beautiful. And I've brought such a brightness and a new understanding into my own autonomy and sovereignty and individuality. I think what I really love so much about the use of, of psychedelics and plant medicines and not all, not all plant medicines, even that are psychedelics, because there are some very, very powerful plant medicines that are not psychedelic at all, but just have a really incredible essence or spirit or teacher to them is that they help us to learn quickly, you know, but in that you also have to be prepared to learn very quickly because it can unpack a lot in a very short period of time, mm -hmm. but really just, uh, such wisdom, such wisdom in allowing us to come back to ourselves and really remember who we are on the inside without, 
without the labels and all of the, all of the judgments and what we've been told and what we thought, you know, we've been mind reading for our entire life. It just helps us remember what it is that we really are to our core. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Do you, I have a lot of questions going on in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Throw them out. Okay. So the first one is, can you break down your human example and how you lived it out of having those pieces of unworthiness and then what it looked like in, a, in your daily life afterwards, whereas you lived without that, those nagging, dragging down feelings. Mm-hmm. Like how yeah. to show up because I just, I just want to help people kind of demystify and be like, Oh my God, you know, I kind of have that too. Yeah. The one thing that I would love to demystify is that um, you wake up and it's gone. That, that seems to not be part of the human experience because as like we you're can, saying, like it's a, like a perfect magic pill and then, yeah, yeah that's okay. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 Um, it's always going to be work and really the work just comes with awareness. And I always say awareness is a bitch because once you're aware, you're then responsible for making a different choice. So um, in my own personal journey, I feel it. I see it. I witness it. And then I question it. So if it's a feeling of unworthiness that's coming up for me, I will close my eyes and I will breathe into it. And I will ask it, what is it that you're trying to tell me or what is it that you need? So if, you know, if for instance, there was, we'll just take for instance, a podcast that I wanted to do, and then I wasn't able to do it. If if that feeling of unworthiness will come up, I'll, I'll sit with it. And I will derive a message from it. And from that, I then know what it is that I need to give to myself. So a lot of this is just about the relationship that we're purposefully propagating within ourselves for ourselves. And some of that is very similar to going in and kind of reparenting or repatterning Mm -hmm. those own, those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, as soon as I do that, as soon as I recognize it, that feeling is gone. You don't know what you're missing until you gain it. Mm-hmm. And um, with psychedelic work, I've now, you talked about, you have that voice in your head that says, oh, what's this? Let's sit with this. Or, you know, we don't have to go down that. For me, there's this voice that I didn't even know I was missing this um when we talk about reparenting and it sounds like oh you know you just reparent yourself but it's a cultivation of this inner loving being mm-hmm. and now when i hear that voice in in myself i'm like damn you know <laughs> it feels so good to have this you know someone cheering me on and someone who has my back within myself like um so that experience is just like just really surprising mhm and so imperative to our own growth. And I like to say it's like any other relationship that you engage in, you know, oh, that's when you have healthy boundaries, you don't just jump into a relationship and give it your all. You take your time to get to know one another. And this also is as much about developing a brand new relationship, getting to know you from an entirely new standpoint that it would be if you were engaging in any other relationship. So it takes time to build trust. Mm-hmm. It takes time to build consistency and it takes time to really get to know what some of those innate needs are. You were mentioning joy earlier and how, you know, we get to a place to where we can cultivate the authentic self and the soul, but we, it's true. We have to trust that not only that we're safe, but ourselves enough to allow that joy. 
Mm -hmm. And even on the flip side, even if we are in a position where, you know, say we want to try something that's kind of scary, where we're allowing ourselves to be seen, to know that even though it doesn't necessarily feel safe, that no matter what comes of it, we're going to be able to manage and handle it. You know, for example, like being on this podcast is kind of scary. You can see me. I don't know what my voice is going to sound like. My stomach's like got butterflies, but at the same time, I trust in myself enough now to know that no matter what comes of this, I'm going to be okay. And I think that really is the the crux of the work right there is it's feeling joy, but also being able to, to extend yourself just a little bit further than you did the day before and know that it's going to be fulfilling and that it's going to actually um, contribute to more of your own soul growth and you know, manifest a, a larger sense of trust and knowing within the self. Have you worked with people in recovery? It, it was really interesting to be at the Las Vegas Psychedelic Wellness Conference and to hear people speaking about, um, because what was also said often at that conference is that the number one indicator for people using drugs or alcohol in a dangerous way is the number one thing is childhood trauma. So essentially the war on drugs is a war against hum- humans with childhood trauma. Have you had people, because I just feel like we have such a, a need for that, a deeper understanding because humanity has been self-soothing in so many ways with food, with I mean, kids are cutting now. I mean, there's just just this huge array mm-hmm. of violence towards ourselves, really. Yeah, it's it's really, really tragic. And, you know, from a clinical perspective, I can tell you that more often than not, um, substance use, abuse, and addiction are co-occurring disorders with depression, anxiety, and, and you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. So, yeah, they go hand in hand. And, and when we look at it through that lens, it's like, well, of course, like, why would it not? What else are we going to do to not have to feel the thing that we most desperately don't want to feel or to be able to finally feel okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? To not have the, the edges and spikes of our trauma just grating against our skin. It's like for just a moment, we can take ourselves out of that suffering Mm-hmm. and not have to experience it. So I, I think that this is a really beautiful aspect of what we're learning about the medicines and how not only from, you know, like the psyche point of view, how it helps to kind of heal our understanding of trauma, but also on an energetic point of view where it's allowing us to release that trauma and again, just come back to the remembrance of self and the soul. But we also are, are finding so many incredible neurological benefits aside from bypassing the default mode network and giving us a fresh coat of snow so that we can choose a different path, but literally on the receptors of the brain that are associated with our addictions. You know, and I think that that is really um, such a beautiful aspect that gives people a, a really nice window of being able to recreate different thoughts, behaviors, patterns, and replacements for, you know, the substances that they've used or the things that they've used, whether it's sex, relationships, cutting, food, whatever, to begin to form different relationships with those things and with themselves. Oh, just such an incredible breakthrough. I saw a video of a man saying, 
you know, some people will scroll their pain away. Some people will drink their pain away. Some people will gamble their pain away. And the man says to the other man, what do you do for, you know, and the guy goes, what pain? Because he was like an AKA normal person. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting. And I just loved what you said about, it gives us a fresh coat of snow. What a beautiful visual so that we can choose a new path that we're not forced to be magnetized to the old path. I just, I just love that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I really love about the analogy of snow is that if you actually look at the way that the snow falls because of the way that the um, molecules fall on top of each other, the way that the snowflakes layer, it actually deadens sound. So the other thing that I really love about that analogy is that it actually quiets the mind and can allow for a space of clarity of thought, you know, without the busyness of, of all of those cogs in the wheels running around and around and around. So it actually helps to still the mind. Well, it can be quite uncomfortable if you haven't been used to that or you don't know what to do with that for a while though, which again, just brings us back to why the preparation and integration with psychedelics is so critically important and to ensure that people are really working with a qualified coach mm-hmm. who is able to help them transition and make progress into implementing some of these skills to help them really regulate their nervous system and keep it regulated and really help them um, anchor into their own energetics and their own thought process in a very autonomous way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely want to get to the importance of integration, but um, my mind is still just reeling with that beautiful visualization of snow. For you personally, I'd like to ask, are there some psychedelics that gave you a fresh coat of snow more than others? This is very unique. And Mm -hmm. I'm asking this question not for people to run out and try something because I do agree with you wholeheartedly. This is incredibly important work. It's not, it's not just recreation. This is important work so that we can be free and choose a new Mm -hmm. path. But were there things for you that that really worked really better? Was it the ibogaine? I would say it was probably less ibogaine than probably sassafras and psilocybin layered. And sassafras is very similar to MDMA. It's just it's MDA derived naturally from plants but it's a little bit more sparkly. So it actually has um, some visuals that can be associated with that. And so for me, the opening up of the MDA paired with the psilocybin mushrooms and some of the visuals that came along with that really helped me to better understand from, and I would even say from more of a spiritual standpoint, as it really connected me so much more with my ancestral DNA and my guides that really helped me to understand more the larger view of what it was that I came here to do and why I experienced what I experienced and how they cease to be suffering when you can find purpose behind them. I think it probably was, was more along those lines and you know, possibly because of just the communication and the way that those different medicines have very different spirits and very different ways of communicating with us. Um, You know, that said, I've also had some really powerful insights from like, you know, I I did a, a smaller ayahuasca journey and the ayahuasca journey really taught me about spiritual warfare and it taught me how to anchor into my own deep belief of protection and call in the things that I needed to have in order to be protected. So, you know, we can equally say that 
these softer journeys can provide just as much information as some of these harder journeys. But again, it's going to be the lens through which we look at it. Yeah, you know, I really love that you brought that up because there are people who have worked on the frontier of microdosing, like let's just use psilocybin for an example. And I was listening to someone speak about how, you know, with microdosing, you're not going to, you're not going to uh, meet God. You're not going to heal all your DNA in your, you know, you're not going to do all this stuff, but I kind of disagree because I feel like all this stuff is so unique to us. And the, the, the work is waiting wherever we are. So you know, I was at that conference and people were talking about microdosing and then people would come up to the microphone and say, you know, it's just a placebo effect. It doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff can work for us if we're ready to show up for it. I, mm-hmm. so I feel like that's interesting that you mentioned you had a small, smaller dose of when you sat for ceremony with ayahuasca. Can, mm-hmm. yeah, would you like to go into that more? Yeah, that one, that one was actually very interesting. <laughs> There was there was a lot about this this scenario that that was not really fitting for the way that I would choose to participate in in that kind of circle again. There were a number of different medicines that were being used at the same time, and again, you know, I'm a I'm a full believer that psilocybin communicates differently than the MDMA, and MDMA communicates differently than like snake root or their salvia. I I had a lot of different energies from a lot of different plant medicines that were in that room. There also was not adequate helpers. There wasn't adequate sitters in there. And with ayahuasca, there tends to be a a very kind of cosmic ethereal energy that comes along with it. It opens up some different gates, I believe, (laughs) from, from my own experience. And if you don't have somebody who can adequately really move that or help to direct it, then it can get really intense in a very different way. So different medicines all in the same room, not adequate help. Ventilation in the area wasn't quite well. So I think that there was some circulating energy that was kind of in there. And and so all of all of those things combined really ended up opening up probably my perception of possibly my own spiritual energetic boundaries. It showed me what that looked like. Wow. Yeah. So I got to learn that night what it meant to say no spiritually, which was, yeah, I mean, and and I think if I had not been prepared, that would have been quite terrifying in the moment. Like I was not prepared. I didn't know that that was going to happen, but as soon as I figured it out and I stepped into that power, it stopped. Navigating these medicines can be a little bit of trial and error. I tried a number of different tactics that I've used towards other medicines before I got to that point where I was just like, fucking stop. No, absolutely not. You're done. Mm-hmm. And then it stopped. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, so, so these, these medicines teach us different things in different ways all of the time. And I think sometimes they ask us to really just show up And sometimes they ask us to kind of lean back and just receive. Either way, we're receiving a message that really is for a greater benefit to ourselves and can really help us to understand more about our capabilities Mm -hmm. and probably what we're meant to be doing outside of that realm. 
Yeah, I love that you bring up boundaries. There's a lot of people doing, you know, teaching classes on boundaries. And when I gave up drinking wine, I thought, oh, okay, I got to develop boundaries. But it wasn't until I was introduced to the psychedelic realm of healing that incredibly huge, gnarly, like immediate boundaries emerged. And that was completely unexpected that's a really lovely story that you share where you had that, that experience and your spiritual boundaries were just like, absolutely no, you're done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the medicines are just, they're so intelligent in the way that they communicate. I, I too have had experiences like you where I've been in ceremony and, you know, in ceremony, it's just the medicine has just said, yes, that's not an issue anymore. And it literally was just gone. I never thought about it again. Can we talk a little bit about how that carries over in waking life? You know, you simplified it. You said it never happens again, but let's say you're in a situation where a friend does something or something's just not right. And you know, it's time to move in a different direction. Can you give us an example of how that kind of comes through really strongly now because now we're talking about this really powerful warrior woman that has stepped up and shown up for you and how it shows up at the grocery store now you know mm-hmm. if it has to if it's <laughs> yeah well sometimes that warrior can take a hot minute to rein in so um you know, again, it's, it's always about just coming back to how do I develop that relationship with this new part of me that is showing up. And, you know, some of this is trial and error. It's not always super easy. And, you know, the, the truth of this is too, sometimes as we tap into these elements of self, the people around us don't always necessarily understand or they don't always necessarily trust the change. So, you know, one of the things that I always talk about is one honoring the self and whatever it is that the self is, is feeling or needing and taking some time to sit with it, you know, trying not to make rash decisions. We're not wanting to be reactive. We're wanting to be responsive. And when we develop that trust in ourselves, being responsive oftentimes becomes, you know, much easier, but also understanding that, that these are all new boundaries that other people are learning from us as well. And so it takes other people time to get to know who we are, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and this is one of the things that I have found in my own life. If I've, as I have had to enter into a state of making changes and making different decisions based off of the things that I've learned about myself and how to honor that. And it has been hard for some people in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and there have been relationships that I have let go of or, or that people have let, let me go, you know, because it no longer suited their needs either. And so you know, there can be an element of, of loss sometimes, but not staying with the status quo. And that can be very, very difficult. Um, it's actually a larger conversation that we oftentimes have with my coaching clients after they go through the medicine and they're going home, you know, maybe to a spouse or family after having had kind of a, a chaotic or traumatic household, you know, based off of their PTSD or depression symptoms or whatever it happens to be that they're going home and feeling great and they feel like this weight has been lifted off of them, but they're walking into an environment with somebody who doesn't quite know them. Right. Certainly doesn't know this person who's walking through the door. You know, there's a lot of work around, 
around normalizing that and around creating space around that and around really helping them to understand how to cultivate mm-hmm. a new relationship and, and be patient with that new relationship that they're stepping into with their spouse or girlfriend or family members. It also brings to mind for me the need for us to consciously and mindfully redesign our home and how we think of home as this like incredible um, sacred space. Mm-hmm. Do you have practices about that with your home? All the time, <laughs> like a ridiculous amount. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a really big believer in I'm just purging, get rid of the things that are holding energy that don't serve your highest good in this moment. So if you've got old letters from girlfriends, if you've got, you know, clothes that were given to you from somebody that you are no longer in contact with, that's not special, go through your house and systematically purge those things because they do hold the energy of, of the, that experience. Talk to your house. Our walls hold energy our houses do so much for us. When you walk in your house, say, I'm home. Thank you. I'm so happy to see you. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> I'm so I, happy to see you. <laughs> I have to tell you, okay, I love this idea. I just, I took a bath beforehand and for the first time I talked to the bathwater. <laughs> I was like, you were, thank you, you know, for being water and just charging it. You were charging your bath water. This is one of the things that I often will do with clients. I'll have them take two cups of water and I will have them just take a drink out of each cup so that they can see that the cup of waters are exactly the same. And then I'll have them charge one, put some love, some positive intention, some gratitude. My, my hand, the palms of my hands are vibrating like crazy, even just talking about this right now. And then I'll have them try both glasses of water again. And I'll say, tell me what's different. What did you notice about the taste, the texture, the smoothness, the sweetness? What, what was the same and what was different? Okay. So you talked to your house. So I talked to my house. Let's hear Um, all the things that you talked to. I want to hear all the narratives. (laughs) I, I talk to everything. Um, I, I probably would be the, the crazy lady, you know, like later on in life that just goes around and like tells my pen how beautiful it is. Um, and that's okay. That's a part of me that I have learned to accept. Um, I talk to my rocks. Of course, I talk to my dog. I tell him he's the best, greatest gonna... boy that ever walked the earth on four legs. Um, I talk to my car. I thank my car all the time for getting me places safely. And again, I think some of this just comes from a deep sense of gratitude for having what I have. And, and I, I will say that, you know, out of all of the things that we can bring into our day-to-day life, I believe that gratitude is probably the absolute most important because it brings us into the current moment. Mm -hmm. If I am expressing gratitude for this light for giving me light or for my water for being water or my food for being food. I'm not thinking about the future and I'm not thinking about the past. I am right here in this moment. And there is, there is no greater gift in my belief than being in the current moment because in life we let so many of those pass by due to the inability to be able to observe them you know, based off of our own, our own mentality or circumstances that when we really are able to anchor into the current moment, it really just changes the flavor of life. Mm -hmm. So 
Thank yeah. you for sharing some of your practices. And would you mind even going deeper? I'd like to know what's running through your mind in the moments when you're first waking up in the morning before you fully arouse. Are you moving to gratitude then too? Or is there a, a practice that you like at that time and then also at night? Yep. The second I am conscious, I immediately name 10 gratitudes. I'm doing the same thing. and I, I don't know where the hell that came from, but I feel like I didn't understand the importance of gratitude work until I entered into doing some psychedelic work. Somehow it lands like just a rocket. It's just so, so much more. So that's Mm -hmm. that you you do that. Did you hear about doing that from somebody? I just, you know, I was always a believer in prayer and in prayer, we always said, thank you. Mm -hmm. But actually now that you say it, I do think that it was when I really began working with states of expanded consciousness Mm -hmm. that that became so much more profound to me. Mm -hmm. I also think it probably was entering into a state of working with people who had so much trauma that it really highlighted how much gratitude I had for my own healing and the work that I'd done and how I really just wanted to anchor into that. Mm-hmm. And I have all of my clients do it. All of my clients. It's like a foundation. It's so strange. It's like, that is the foundation. Like mm-hmm. so interesting. It is. And there, I mean, there are so many neurological benefits to it too. You know, we need to get our daily dose. We see we need to get our daily dose of dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin and endorphins. And when we start off our day with gratitude, we're automatically getting two of those, right? We're automatically, and and possibly three, you know, if you've got your dog next to you or a spouse or a friend, or even your favorite stuffed animal, like you're also getting some oxytocin. Mm -hmm. So it's just a beautiful way to bring yourself into the current moment. Again, also because so many people wake up and their minds just hit the ground running up all of the things that they need to do that day. Mm-hmm. So when we slow it down enough to do gratitude, and I say it doesn't matter what you express gratitude for, it can be your toes, it can be your sheets, it can be the pillow, it doesn't matter. I have friends who are much more advanced than I am and they refuse to do, they will not allow themselves to use the same gratitude two days in a row. Wow. My brain just hasn't quite figured that one out. I already used that one. I got to use another yeah. one. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, it's too much, too much work. So I, I always do gratitude. The second I'm conscious, I always go through my, like my soul counsel. I give God gratitude for being here. You know, I thank my guides for being with me. Like my angels, my archangels, my ancestors for bringing me here, my sovereign benevolent ancestors for their guidance and protection. Like mm. I got a whole thing that I say mm. and it's heartfelt every single day because I feel it. Also, I don't get out of bed until I do five to 10 big diaphragmatic breaths. I really just ground myself back in my body. And then, you know, I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to just keep my mind clear for, you know, a couple of minutes before I get out of bed. And then following that, I'll get up and I'll do a good meditation for 45 minutes to an hour. I'm going to begin moving my body again and getting some exercise. <laughs> I have fallen off that. I have fallen off off of off, off of that practice for a little while. Um, but just trying to be really mindful about the things that 
really equate to a healthier sense of full self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then before I go to bed, I essentially, I do the same thing. I do the diaphragmatic breathing. I do some gratitude. I thank my soul counsel, God for bringing me here. And then I'll usually throw on some binaural beats with a meditation or something. And then I'll fall asleep that way. Beautiful. Yeah. And then throughout the day too, you know, remembering how important it is to center and ground yourself throughout the day. I tell all of my clients that, the easiest way to really regulate the nervous system is by being grounded in times when you don't need to regulate the nervous system. So that just means that we are consistently going in and doing some diaphragmatic breathing when you don't need it. Yeah. Throughout the day, you know, that way it's like, that way you decrease the amount of time that you spend feeling frazzled. It doesn't Mm -hmm. take as long to come back down because your overall nervous system isn't up here anymore. It's here because you kind of off gas some of that throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So I find that to be really, really helpful to just continually connecting back to the body, back to the breath, throwing down some grounding cords, releasing what no longer serves me energetically, and then allowing myself to bring in with, with consciousness, the things that will help me, which is joy, gratitude, and being in the present moment. That's so amazing. And what about with food? Have you changed a lot after doing the psychedelic work? Are you there isn't a classic way, you know, I've heard some people say, oh, everybody, you know, if you really get into psychedelics or psilocybin, the mushroom wants to teach you how to save the planet. And so we're all going vegan. But what I feel is that there's much more of awareness of what your body wants. Mm-hmm. I would agree with, I would agree with that. Um, no matter how many mushrooms I've taken, they have not told me to go vegan. <laughs> I, I also grew up in Montana where hunting was a way of life that was the only way that we really ate meat growing up. And some people are going to hate this, but you know, there is a certain relationship that you develop with the things that you bring into your life. And no matter what we're eating or how we get it, we need to have a very healthy respect for it and for the preparation and for the way that, um, that we are treating it. And so I think that the one thing that has been most prevalent for me is just a really deep regard for the things that I bring into my home and onto my plate and um, really looking at, at ethical ways that if I'm, if I'm eating something that's animal based an ethical way that it was raised or hunted, I, I really believe that there's an energetic around that having things that are sustainable, that had a chance Mm-hmm. you know, to really at least have a good life while they had their life mm-hmm. is really important to me. I will tell you that any time that I go into a journey, the one thing that I really crave is pepperoni pizza. <laughs> in the, as you're going into the journey? <laughs> Only because I have to fast. And so I always want the pepperoni pizza, even though I really don't want the pepperoni pizza. Um, but I, I always just think that's kind of funny. I'm, I would kill yeah. for a pepperoni pizza right now. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, but that's before the journey. After the journey, I usually want things that that feel high vibrational and clean. And with your business and the work that you're doing, like where can people find you and where does it feel right that your business and your work is going to go? My heart is very much in the coaching space. Right now I'm on Instagram, Catherine underscore LaRoe underscore integrative coach. Feel free to follow me there. 
most of what I'm just putting up right now is free content. I haven't delved into offering too much right now because I'm in an incredibly busy season with therapy and coaching and different retreats right now. So it's just not been a priority for me, but I really love working with trauma. I really love working with empaths. I really love the psychedelic preparation and integration space. So if anybody's interested, you can hit me up on Instagram. I also have Catherine Leroux integrative coach on Facebook. However, I am not very active on that one. I think it might get a repost from Insta every now and then. (laughs) I have not adequately engaged in social media. It just hasn't been my thing, but maybe I'll get there eventually. But if you guys reach out to me via DM on Instagram, I will get back to you. So, (laughs) Well, thank you so much for just revealing yourself and the work that I appreciate it so much. The work that you've done on yourself and everything that you've gone through to be the most authentic and real and in tuned being here to to continue Mm -hmm. to do this work because we just need it so much. Well, I love that you're doing this podcast and, you know, I've been watching you and the people that you've had on and you're spreading such a beautiful message and really allowing people to understand the intricacies and the benefits and and even the work that goes along with the use of psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapies. So I think it's really beautiful. So thank you for, for the invite and having me on here and for hearing me out. It's been wonderful. Are you ready to go deeper? I am so excited to tell you that tomorrow, Monday, November 15th, my carts open for a deep dive integration course that's a month long with no more than eight people that identify as a woman. This is about microdosing and identity recreation. If you'd like some more information, please email me at the healed hero at gmail.com.